Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Awesome. So we have Joe Marini here of Mother Superior. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about this because we're going to talk about a lot of things, one of which is a sort of novel funding model, but I'm sure Joe is going to get into that a little bit more. And I'm super curious about your background. I did a little bit of digging online. And so maybe you can really give us, you know, sort of your A to B to C to D. Uh, but let's get into it because uh, we want to get to know you and who you were before who you are now. So tell us about, you know, childhood, Joe, like, would you be friends with younger you? Would your younger you be friends with who you are today? Tell us about that. I'm a second gen American and I had this really unique experience of being raised in like the late 80s, like early 90s, like I'm, a, I'm an older millennial, but in like this time capsule community of, of Italian immigrants, right? And other first gen Americans. And so like, you know, everybody went to mass and you know, the grocery store was red, white and green. And, you know, all like the nonas and nonos got together and, you know, did their, did their thing. And there was like a photo of the Pope behind every counter. So like my family, right? And, and all of these other families were building their American dream, right? And and I didn't really understand that at the time, right? Because that, that's all I knew. I left at 18 and I and I went to college and it was so awkward. Like first of all, I was already awkward. But uh <laughs> but like in the context of that experience, like I knew nothing about the world. Like I never had a burrito. <laughs> so I was like, wait, like wait, what like what, what is happening? Like like you don't make sauce. Like I, I don't understand. It took me a really long time to realize like how unique my that was like formative years, like that experience was. And it's something that I've, I've really been reflecting on a lot, right? Especially like the last like four or five years or so since I've been, I've been doing this work around like equity and, you know, and, and inclusion, especially in venture, where this has sort of led me, right? As, as we're telling, getting back to like my childhood self versus my, my current self. I've really like for better or worse, worked really hard to find my own identity and sort of reconcile my upbringing with how I currently relate to the world and specifically who I want to be in the world and who I want to show up for. I'd like to think that like my younger self, well, I know my younger self wouldn't have the context or the confidence to understand who I am today, right? Or or to be my friend. But I think that I hope that she would be curious about who I am and she would start asking the right questions. Interesting too. I'm glad somebody told you about burritos and here we are. Here we are. They're amazing. <laughs> a whole, uh, obviously. A whole new world is opened up. Uh, okay, so you brought us through sort of the uh, your sense of discovery as you're making it through. But talk to us specifically about your discoveries and curiosities around technology and innovation and disruption, because it seems to be sort of core in what you're doing now, being able to tap into some deeper experiences you've had. But what was that earliest experience where you you wanted to, you got a taste of it and you wanted to keep going? So again, right, older millennial here. And so I was in the third grade and we got our first computer. And this only happened because my uncle, you know, worked in like New York City, right? So like the big city from my little town of like 5,000 people. And he was in tech at the time and he shows up. And this is like at the time when, you know, people are getting their very first PCs in the house. Like there's no way that my family could have afforded that. But yet he shows up with this like massive clunky monitor and this massive tower. It was all this like disgusting, like beige color. And I still remember it had like KFC on the front. Like I didn't understand. I was like, wait, what? Like, what is this? Like, what is this KFC thing? Like that was like the brand. And it was the best. 
right? Like it was so cool. And I didn't know enough. Like I played games and it was like this Mario knockoff run through this maze and like jump over barrels or something. And then I would just make everybody I knew banners on the dot matrix printer. Like I would like type in messages and like bring them to my friends and like, you know, hang them up and stuff. This I think has made me about as tech native as I could be for being as old as I am, right? Like, you know, I like didn't grow up with an iPad, but you know, pretty, pretty early on, like I at least had something, which was an amazing privilege, right? And just kind of by proximity was was something that uh, my family um had had access to. And I think like ever since then, like I've just sort of taken it as like, okay, well, like this is just what's next. And I and I think that that um maybe has let me just sort of be really comfortable flowing from one thing to the next. Super interesting. So bring us to the present now. Talked about the road. Now let's get to where we are today, which is uh, with Mother Superior. So describe to us what is Mother Superior? From where did this idea originate? And talk about the novelty around the model that you're, you're, you're trying to employ. So Mother Superior is, in its very simplest form, it's a venture and impact factory. It's based on this idea that we work with really early stage entrepreneurs. We call them everyday founders, right? They're people that don't have the background, don't have the pedigree, don't speak the language, you know, just really brilliant humans with incredible life experiences that have really amazing things to build that otherwise wouldn't have access um, or, or opportunity to, you know, be able to sort of start down this road of, you know, not just small business, but like, you know, real sort of like founder, like the real like sort of like founder venture world, right? Things that scale, things that need capital. We really also understood, right, that like money in itself isn't enough. And so it's full suite of services, operation, funding, you know, long-term support. It's just the idea that if we're going to work together, we are going to work together, right? And we're going to work together this year and next year and 10 years from now. If I don't know, I'm going to find somebody that does. It really came from uh, this this aha moment. Again, right, I wasn't always in, in the Bay Area. I came from this little town in Pennsylvania. I lived in Colorado for, for a bunch of years, went to college there, and then you know, ended up staying there, and then had this opportunity to move to the Bay Area with the, the job I had. And I took it, ended up going to get my MBA at California College of the Arts, which is a super non-traditional MBA, sort of grounded in this idea that you know all systems are by design. And therefore, we can redesign them. And we probably want to, right? Um, or at least my perspective is like, I probably want to. And so sitting in class at a super progressive you know, school, this you know, established venture capitalist comes in to describe the model. It, it clicked for me, right? And it was super, super clear that regardless of all of the impact statements and the diversity statements and these statements of inclusion that existed, there was a Grand Canyon gap between the reality of those with access and people like my family and myself that are not included in this world, right? And then I think of, you know, my friends, right? And the people in my community, women, you know, immigrants, people of color, people with disabilities, like their, right, their access also, like it just, it doesn't exist. And so for me, when I think about watching people start from nothing and building wealth and power that comes from those those opportunities for being able to do the work and build businesses, that is what I wanted to bring into Mother Superior, right? How can we tap into that in a day where, you know, it's not as easy as it used to be? How could I look to the people that I knew and the community that I had and figure out a way to really open up access for wealth building and the power that comes with those opportunities? And so 
mother superior, all of it. Right. And let's be honest, right. Like we're experimenting, right. Our model, it's only four years old. And therefore we know that it's going to look really different two years from now than it does today. And it looks different today than it did when it started. But that really is the central thesis of the business. Got it. And you bring up a good point too. You can't necessarily write your way into a better world, you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, I think it's Aristotle who said, you know, uh, legis- you know, you can legislate, you know, behavior or whatever, but I really think you spoke to something there. And I, with your design background, I'm very curious about how you view this next question, which is, you know, what do you think that founders or even funders, because you have investors who are coming into the foundry as well, what are they getting that they can't get anywhere else? What are they getting out of Mother Superior that you know they can't get out elsewhere? They came to you because they couldn't find it. And if you took it away from them, they would you know fight to get it back. What is that thing? They have to be pretty brave. <laughs> and the people that have you know have stepped in, you know, to to that ring with us and, and are championing what we're doing are incredible and they are they are very brave. And I think the one thing they have in common is that they also understand that we take nothing for granted, right? There is no status quo way of operating or system or model that we're just going to be like, okay, cool. Let's just do it this way. Right. Really spend a lot of time saying, why does this exist? Who made it? How long has it been in existence? Who benefits from this, right? Who was hurt from this? And after we really look at that, then we get to build something new, right? Then we build something that, that we feel works for us or that we want to test. I think on the founder side, they're not punished for, for not knowing the code or having the connects or being able to speak a certain way or driving the right car to the meeting, right? Um, or, you know, being written off before they even come into the door. And I'm sure you've seen this, right? So many places are like, yeah, we don't need a warm intro. Okay, right? Like I, as an experiment, I, I raise money as well. Like I'm raising right now for, for something that actually came out of Mother Superior, um, and every time I pitch a fund that says, I don't need a warm intro, I need a warm intro, right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to get an email back that's like, sorry, this isn't for us. But turns out, right, if, if there's a direct line or if there's a referral there, I'm always going to get that meeting. It's how do we show up for each other and, and really sort of look at get why something is the way it is and, and be able to figure out a way forward together that, you know, that looks different than maybe we've seen before and that we're excited to try. Absolutely. Uh, You kind of alluded to this, but let's talk traction. And for our regular listeners, they'll remember back in season one when we interviewed Alex Baddorf, she gave us a great breakdown of different elements of traction. But we want to know from your perspective, Joe and Mother Superior, what was that evidence of traction that you saw that in your mind, was the reason to keep going. It validated for you, you were on the right track. It got you even more motivated. What was that evidence of traction? Man, there's there's like so many ways to look at this, right? And I think there's the qualitative and the quantitative traction. I'm going to speak to traction around just like traction of confidence, because I think maybe that's something that that we might do a little differently, right? Um, because we are helping founders to to sort of build these companies. We started from you know a day one idea. And, you know, raised like an initial, you know, like really early angel round, um, you know, sort of developed this consumer product in COVID hit. And everything that we built was decimated. The supply chain was decimated. Like, I mean, we basically had to go back to square one. When I think about traction, I'm, gonna, I'm talking specifically around traction of, of sort of founder success, right? And so here we are almost two years later, these founders not only are about to launch this product, but it, they, like, it like makes me like... <laughs> It makes me kind of want to cry. Like I am it, so, it, it's just so incredible. 
what they're about to come out with and, and the ingenuity and the dedication and their own personal traction of, of growth, right? Like their success curve is like nothing I've ever seen. They reinvented the thing. They came up with a, a completely new material that we haven't seen before that is environmentally friendly. It's cradle to cradle. It solves a huge problem. And the people that they have rooting for them, like we're talking from like massive, massive celebrities all the way down to like people in their hometown that are ready to get this launched is insane. And so like, we can look at like traction in terms of like numbers and user adoption and, you know, dollar over dollar and, you know, like, you know, we can talk about like our hockey stick, but, and, but for me, like that, I can't, I can't manufacture that. Right. Like I can't design my way in or out of that. Like that, that is a special type of person. And when I see that happen once, when I see that happen twice, when I see that happen over again, like I, I'm not giving that up, right? Like I have to keep going. Totally. Now that's a, that's a good example. And when you see people pursue through their pivot, it's nothing but motivating. Uh, so let's talk networks. You know, you, you made it seem like you started with nothing and now clearly you are one of the plugs in the Valley. So if I'm listening to this right now and I'm a founder, I don't have a super strong network. I'd be very curious how you would answer this next question, which is, you know, who is somebody in your network who provided value that was kind of unexpected? Because our whole thesis with Diverse Tech Founders is that the capitals are sort of inside our body and that even if you start from nothing, you can still go and reach whatever goal you want as long as you have the right people in your room giving you the right information. And so for you, where can people go? What is that untapped or unexpected value that you've been receiving from your network? My network is everybody. I know it's like kind of it's kind of like weird to say, but it's it's not just one person, right? It is, I think it's two things. I think that personal and professional network is number one, it's mutual, right? So when I'm meeting somebody new, especially when you're first getting started, at least for me, it felt like I was taking so much, right? And I really had nothing to give back. And so I think the first thing that I, I really try to do is figure out like, what is my value in this conversation, right? As someone that is just getting started, as someone that has a fairly unpopular idea, or maybe like popular in like conversation, like popular in theory, but like not so popular when it's like time to give money, what do I have to offer, right? That's like, that's really special. And I think I, I once I figured that out, I just talked to everybody and I had conversations that were terrible. Like honestly, I was like, oh, that was so bad, right? And I had conversations that were awesome. And it's really interesting now because my network is really diverse and I have people that I talk to, you know, and I get advice on funding. I have people that I talk to and just get advice of like, I need to talk to somebody because I have this problem and I just don't even know where to start. And I think that that's, that's what you're speaking to, right? Like it's this thing in you that's like, okay, it's not like I have a mentor, like this, like one person that's going to like, you know, take me through the fire. It's that I have like, and I think we all sort of have to be our own mentors, right? What do we need? What do we stand for? And how do we really go out? And and even if the call is going to be awful, and even if we're going to feel like we blew it, we didn't, right? And keep having the conversation. Every single time I do, I learn something new. That really is the unexpected value. That's super cool. So now uh, let's take the kid gloves off. Let's get real for a second here. So let's talk family life and balancing and all of that. So uh, we usually ask about people's, you know, family life because we know their company is not the only thing they're, you know, hoping succeeds in their life. That being said, do you merge the two, family and professional, or do you keep them separate? What advice do you have for folks who are trying to stop juggling uh, things that are difficult to juggle? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I live with my partner and his 10-year-old daughter, so my, my stepdaughter. 
as I was building this company, I don't know if anyone actually, I know I, I do know, like I was so close to the work that I couldn't talk about my own work. And someone would say, Hey, what is mother superior? Like, Oh, it's a thing. And we do this, but then we do this. And then we talk with these people. And it was, it was a mess. Right. And this is kind of like, you know, like about three years ago. And I was talking to him about it and talking to him about it. He's a really, you know, brilliant marketer. And, and I had really never asked him for help. And one day he's like, just stop. And he goes into his office and he comes back and he's like, here's what you built. Right. And he wrote it for me. And I was like, oh, and I start crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like the best gift that anyone could have given me in that moment. Right. It was just so incredible. He knows what's up. Right. And, and he is now in many ways, a mentor to me when I feel stuck, but I will say, because it's all I think about all day, every day. <laughs> We also had to have a conversation where he was like, listen, I need you to create some sort of boundary for us here because I am into it and I support you and I think it's amazing and, but it cannot be our whole life. Right. And I think I really needed somebody to kind of like shake me a little bit and be like, okay, kind of like take that like tough love line. And I think ever since then I've done a better job, right? Like I kind of can take some time for myself at the end of the day. I compartmentalize, I decompress, I write down things I need to write down. And we will talk about my work now just as much as we talk about his, but I really have to be thoughtful about not letting it sort of dominate our entire lives. Very insightful because it's real. I mean, you're not going to be able to get away from, from having to make those types of calls or have those types of insights. So I'm glad we, we got a little bit of realness. So uh, the next question is, is pretty interesting based on your funded model because you haven't maybe gone into this too much just yet. But we're talking about co-founders and we always ask about co-founders because they help uh, sometimes, they help more than other times they don't. But if you were designing a co-founder from scratch, what is that one thing you would make sure that they had? So Mother Superior was also founded by a woman named Lily Cohen. She is the sort of operational brain. She's awesome. I think when I think about the ideal co-founder and when I... and and it's really funny that that you say it that way because it's also really mindfully what we try to give to other founders is we're going to we're going to ride together. There is nothing that's going to get too hard. You know, nobody's going to freak out, right? Like whatever it is, we got it. Like let's stay cool, like let's stay focused and there's a lot of emotion, right? In 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 business building, right? There's a lot of emotion between people and ideas. There's a lot of emotion between where the money's coming from. There's a lot of emotion when things don't go your way and most often they don't. One of the things that we did actually to put some structure around this idea of value add co-founding is we built something called a common good agreement. And it is a foundational document, we wrote it from scratch, it's across three different categories and it's, it's open. Um, I'm welcome to share it with anybody that wants to see it. And if you want to modify it, um, one of the things is we're very open about our work, like nothing is secret. We built it. If somebody can use it and take it and make it better, please do. It is really broken down into... What what are the common values that that we agree to as a team, right? Everybody reads them. Um, everybody sort of contributes and puts their spin on them. But it's everything from why are we here? Like, what is the North Star? All the way around to when it comes time to hire, who are we hiring and why, right? Who are we seeking out? Because a lot of times in early stages, like when equity gets split, finding value aligned or purpose aligned, those very early stage founders, like it just, it, it's not it's not a quick find a lot of times. Number one, we're going to stay cool. We're going to work at it together. Like we're here, we're, you know, we're doing the thing. And number two, 
really having the the thoughtfulness and the grounding at that beginning to, to lay out those ground rules and and you know and really do something that works for everyone and makes everyone trust everyone else I think is really really rare and something that that we're, we try to be really mindful of that is cool and I'm sure that you know when the founders see you you know kind of come on board and live up to your mission uh, they're pleasantly surprised with, with the value add there. One way that, you know, people add value is with money. And these days, money seems to be flying everywhere uh, in every different direction. But let's assume that a million dollars is still pretty meaningful today. If you had a million dollars in funding, you know, right now, no strings attached, no qualifications or conditions on it, you don't have to answer to anybody. You just have a million that you could sort of bless, spend, deploy how are you spending that million dollars? So I think it goes two ways. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to reinvest all of our founders. More capital, just take it. <laughs> do what you need to do with it. Don't need my permission. Grow your business the way that makes sense for you, right? Number one. I think the second thing that I would do with it is invest in a lot of founders, especially when you are, you're building impact businesses. A million dollars is, I mean, I know money's flying everywhere, but for me, that's still a ton of money. And when you don't have, money being thrown at you, you learn to be really resourceful about your dollars, right? And you're not spending it on, you know, cars and trips and flights, right? You're spending it on like building the business. And so I think I would take the other piece of that. Um, one of the interesting things that came out of our last four years of work was a decision that we had to make. And it was, do we raise again and do another foundry group? Or do we work with the founders we have for a minute, pause, take everything we learned, all of these documents, all of these catalogs, and build a platform to deploy to scale, right? Because at the end of the day, right, I can do six, seven, eight, if I hire a bigger team, 10 of these a year, it's not enough. So I would take the rest of that and I would fund our own fund, right? I'd fund our own raise. Um, and I would get that built faster and better and, you know, put something out sooner that, that more founders have access to. So you have something huge cooking uh, for this next year. Don't we all always have something huge cooking? <laughs> so you're looking to the future, which is good. But let's take a step back in the past again and think about some of the advice that you might have received along the way. And specifically, what advice can you share with us that you've received that was the most profitable? Like you put it into practice and you noticed in real monetary value, this made a difference. Keep going but no one to adapt. Keep going, but no one to adapt. I see. Uh, did I read right that you were, you know, Circus Olay or something like that? The acrobatic or something? <laughs> what is, what's going on with you? No, not me. Not was me. That... I, I, <laughs> I graduated from the Air Force Academy, which was in hindsight, right, a really terrible place for me to be, but a great learning. And then after a time, I went directly into, you know, sort of um, like firm work, right? Like more like corporate work. And I burned myself out really fast. And then I overcorrected. And I did things like, you know, going to study Pilates and work with Cirque du Soleil dancers. And, you know, I opened up like a sustainable food truck. And I did, I like just like swung the pendulum really far to the other side. And so that, that that's where that came from. So you weren't actually, you know, on the, you were just... Oh, Oh, God, no. <laughs> okay, the tutorials. Cool. Okay, correction. I'm glad you clarified that. Speaking of fun, this, this leads right into our next question. We know, you know, the, it, it's a tough go of it, but it's also fun sometimes. So do you have any examples? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things, right? Like, I think seeing a venture launch is just incredible. Like, it is just, it's fun, right? It's like, the, there's like nothing like that energy, right? There's nothing like celebrating 
you know, those founders and, and what they built, right? That's like probably like the, the peak, right? I've noticed, and this is my own informal poll, and we ask folks from the South and maybe even from the New York area, they give us some real deep answers. So you're going to have to put on <laughs> for San Francisco in the Bay here, which yeah. Are- and it could be any artist. It could be visual, yeah. it could be lyrical, musical, you know, whatever your definition is. Most inspires the work that you do. And, and we ask this question because artists and entrepreneurs, founders, especially in the tech space, we see there are a lot of overlap in how they approach and how they feel about the work that they do. And when they enter that flow, I think there's there's some overlap. So who helps you get in the flow? I really like conceptual art. And I like it because I don't have to sit in the moment and like really ponder it. I can like just kind of look at it or read what it says and kind of take it away. And, you know, later I'll be like, oh, like that made sense, right? Like now, like that hit me. John Baldessari has this piece that he did and it just says something like this, but not this. And it's like the lock screen on my phone. And so something like that, I kind of saw in passing one day and I was like, oh, that's something that like I can go back to, right? It's really quick. It's really, it's just like a, it's like a touch point, a reminder. There's a, a woman Louise Bourgeois, and she did this series of pieces in 1999. It's like the series of conceptual art pieces. And it's entitled, What is the Shape of This Problem? It's this like series of like nine pieces, right? And she kind of like looks at these like random problems in the world and just like states it, right? And then sort of illustrates sort of her, how she feels about that problem. That is really the question I ask myself all day, every day. What is actually happening? Everybody has an opinion. Everyone comes at the problem through the lens of which they move through the world. So now let's talk the huge elephant in the room. I mean, this podcast is called Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. What evidence do you point to to show that diversity as a strategy works. Uh, Diversity means a lot of different things to different people. I mean, some people listening to this might agree or disagree with our definitions of diversity, but what do you point to to show that this actually works? There's two parts to this, right? There's like the very academic part where I can come in and I can like give you the stats, right? And so from like a social perspective, right? We know that people that work for women, uh, women bosses or diverse bosses tend to be happier, right? From a finance perspective, more, you know, integrated diverse teams are often more profitable. We know that, you know, founder gender parity, right? Can raise the global GDP by three to 6%, right? Which is like about two and a half to $5 trillion. We also know that specifically when we talk about I'm really going to narrow it on diversity and just talk about women investors, right? We know that they get better returns. All of that, right, we can point to. I think the thing that I struggle with when I get asked this question or the thing that I struggle with myself, I don't know that we have enough stats around real diversity excess because there still isn't enough real diversity to measure. Women founders are not diversity. I don't see diversity stats around economic diversity. We don't see diversity around disabled founders, right? We don't see diversity around indigenous founders. Diversity to me, right, as I'm asked this question as a, you know, a white woman founder, you know, diversity is, are you a woman? Are you white? And are you nice? And like that gets you into this like diversity bucket. And that is not the world that I play in. And that is not what it looks like to me. And so I think when I seek out those stats, I still can't find diversity represented in the way that I see it in the way I, in the way I work with founders. And so I don't know. That's interesting. So, you know, how does diversity show up when you show up as a co-founder? I'm just curious. This is kind of a bonus question, but I'm just wondering 
how you embody and live out, you know, diversity, given that if you were just waiting on the status quo, you might be waiting for a really long time. It's integrated into everything that we do. For example, one of the metrics in the common good agreement, which I talked about earlier, and this is across all of our portfolio companies, is who we hire, who gets in on the ground floor, who gets the equity. In the early stages, right, my name is Joe, and, um, you know, my, my partner's name is Willie. And in the early stages, people thought we were men. And we were getting all of these meetings because people assumed that Joe and Willie were showing up. And we've had multiple times where we've been sitting in the chair and they are looking for Joe and Willie and we are right there. I'm sorry, I did not mean to chuckle at that, but that's ridiculous and, you know, kind of speaks to the ridiculousness and hilarity of the situation is that a simple name change can actually impact, you know, whether or not you get millions or not, or, or whether or not people are excited about your meeting. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm glad that I asked you that follow-up because that, that's some realness we need to grapple with. Speaking of grappling, you're there, you know, in the heart of the startup world uh, for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, everybody uh, who's not there is thinking about what's there. What are you most excited about in Silicon Valley right now? But just, you know, really interesting fun thesis is right around, you know, femtech around being really specific of like, you know, we will only invest in teams, either, you know, women or, or non-binary founder, right? And things like that, which, you know, when I was getting started and asking these questions around, you know, sort of mother superior and this concept of like the everyday founder and who I wanted to invest in, I just wasn't hearing that. In, in many ways, right, we are both the most progressive and also the least progressive <laughs> in the Bay Area, right? Most progressive because obviously there are a lot of new ideas and I think least progressive because there's also sort of the institutional hold on what it means to, to be in venture. I, I think it's a change and it's, it's a good one. So you're saying it's okay to have a little bit of hope? You're seeing some, some good things coming out? We, we'll... I mean, what do we have if not hope, right? I mean, everything we're talking about like is, is a really hopeful process. If I don't get up every day and hope and have hope and have optimism, you know, I mean, obviously, right? Like it has to be grounded with optimism. I can't just go out there and like throw rainbows everywhere. I must have hope. I must have optimism. And I also must do the work, right? To back up the hope and back up the optimism. Uh, so we will stand by for, for more updates out of Bay Area. But if you had to move to another startup ecosystem, man, I got to be honest with you, as we connect with different founders from all of the markets, I mean, if you go back to season one and just look at the cities from where these founders are from, they're all over. If you were to pick up and move your life, everything, Mother Superior, family, et cetera, to another startup ecosystem, you can't stay where you are right now. You have to get out where yeah. you go. Like it can't be cold. So you're coming south. <laughs> Probably south, right? It can't be cold. It can't be Texas. And I'm really sorry to anybody that's from Texas. It's just not, not for me. There's so many people. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, you know, like I, I, I spent a summer there and the bugs were huge and it just wasn't, wasn't my thing. I can't. <laughs> Where are you thinking? Then? Where are you? Can I say that if I, if I had to, I don't, I don't think I can pick another place, but I think if I had to uproot my life and uproot my family, what I would like to do is have more exposure into more places, right? And more people, because at the end of the day, right? I work with everyday founders and everyday founders are everyday founders. They are everyday people. And I think um, part of the biggest drawback of being where I am is there is a very certain type of person that lives here. I, where I am now is not where my people are. And so I think probably if I'm going to answer that, it is not one place. I think I would, I would be a bit transient, right? I think I would be talking to people. I think that I would be seeing what else is out there and what people need and, and how, you know, what I'm building could be useful 
Agreed. It's a big world out here. There are plenty of folks outside the Bay Area you could come and visit and, and kick it with us. I'm sure you know that's just my plug because that's our thing. I mean, we just mm-hmm. think startup founders everywhere. So name a pivot that you think saved your career. I mean, you touched on some kind of turning moments and whatnot, but have you ever come to a fork or you had a big decision that you had to make where if you hadn't made it, we maybe wouldn't be here right now. So what was that pivot for you? What was that turning point? And it could be even, you know, as far back as, you know, your studies of Cirque du Soleil. Where is that pivot? All right, I'm going to give you a real honest answer. I moved to San Francisco, moved to the Bay Area six years ago. And when I did that, I blew up my entire life to do so. I had a network in Colorado. I was a, you know, I was a two-time founder there. Um, I was in like the, the local food sort of business. I had a restaurant. I had the area's sort of first off-grid food truck, work with local farmers, that kind of thing. And I was married. And I was in a situation where from the outside, someone looks at it and they're like, oh my gosh, your life, your life is just like, it's perfect, right? I aspire to have what you have. And yet I didn't know who I needed to be, but I knew that it wasn't there. I took the offer that my job gave me to move here. And I literally put all of my stuff in two duffel bags. Yep. Put, I had two pugs at the time, put them in the car <laughs> and I drove out and I lived in some really gross Airbnbs for a couple of months until I figured it out. I mean, it was, it was awful. I think that for me, it was like, I'm going to do this now or I'm never going to do it. And there's something else out there for me. And, and I, I don't know what that is yet, but I, I have to find it even if it's a, you know, even if it's a disaster. Right. And so I did. Joe, you just said a word right there. You really did. And I don't know why I like get excited when people talk about those type of defining moments because there's an element of struggle sure but I mean if you've been through it you and I both know the person who comes out of those situations is you know pretty close to invincible so I'm, I'm glad that you you had that and if you had stayed I mean uh, you wouldn't be here it would be a completely different situation the biggest life hack you can you really make is getting outside of where you you know you have all that that comfort um, so speaking of, of you know kind of switching it up in different communities which communities have been the most helpful for Mother Superior? I mean, we have this new version in relationship here with Diverse Tech founders and the like. Obviously, if you're listening to this, we recommend that you check out Mother Superior. But which communities have been the most successful in growing your brand, getting your message out there? Like, where where are your people? We're still pretty small, right? You know, our team is pretty small and we don't have a massive reach. And our people are the people that show up for us the way we show up for them. There have been times when the founders that we work with or people that have financially helped us get started, we have had completely sort of unexpected conversations with. They've been like, hey, yeah, that's great. You know, high five, good job. And then have said our name in the right room. Why are we getting, you know, people asking, you know, to do an interview? You know, why did our website traffic just spike? Why did our Instagram, you know, get all of these follows when we like never post on it? We don't have time. To know that you are remembered and that your name is being said in the right room when you're not there and it's being done so because someone genuinely cares. Like these are the people, right? These are the communities that are that are growing the brand, the business. Sometimes I don't even know who they are. I want to flip this question for this season and ask you what you think you can do to help the diverse tech founder audience and community. And it's a mix of folks, just as a brief background. Yes, uh, it's a slew of founders who are doing great things, uh, but also aspiring angel investors or people who have invested, uh, like myself, people who are wanting to be advisors with startups in different capacities and roles. Maybe they want to be a co-founder. What can you do to help the diverse tech founders community? 
anything I have, I will share, right? And, and to get really specific about that, I think the biggest outcome from the last four years of work, other than what came out of the foundries and our founders, is this catalog that we built. It is everything from, so it is 71 documents that is reimagined from the ground up, everything from NDAs to operating agreements and bylaws to common good agreements to safety policies that include, you know, emotional, financial, social safety. They are, you know, hiring documents. We have this proprietary impact architect that we built, and this is actually part of what we're raising for, to help early stage founders that want to put impact into their business do so from the ground up. And all of it, very, very important, is while completely legally compliant, also has these areas of translation. So the founders know what the heck they're signing and why. And if we need to modify it, why? And we are really open about sharing that. We want to share it. And so if you are out there and you, I mean, legal is a really hard hurdle, especially when you don't have money. We are so lucky. My law professor, which I can't believe I haven't mentioned her yet. When Willie and I went for, when we were in our MBA, um, we had this incredible woman who was our business law professor. She is a member of the company, has worked for 35 years in some of like the biggest companies around business law. And she has helped us create this catalog. And we have access to it now, which means that we want to share with everyone. So if you are in those formative stages and you need help, please reach out. I will do whatever I can to, to help you get what you need. Love that. And you just hit on so many nuggets. I don't know if you're listening to this, if you've reached this point yet, but uh, you're definitely going to accrue some debt along the way. It's not just financial. It's not just technical. It's also legal sometimes too. And just having the right design element to be able to see in real time the legal, but also the how it impacts your operations. Super key. So if you can take advantage of that, I would I would jump at that if you're listening to this right now. Speaking of jumping, uh, you know, we want to know how high. You want to jump, and this next question is a favorite of mine in particular. Mm -hmm. Surprised by how many times people have pushed back on the question, but that is the case when you're bringing on brilliant people to the podcast. So do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? And this could be as a co-founder, you know, in the foundry or to grow the foundry to this billion dollar entity that's helping folks. Do you want to get that big? If so, why? And if not, why not? So the answer to that is yes. And I want to do it because, and not for the foundry, I want to do it very specifically for this thing that came out of the foundry that we're raising for. And there's a very specific reason for that. And it's that if the goal of that product is to impact as many founders as we possibly can in helping them build impact ventures, not in every situation, but in that particular situation, the company that I need to build is inextricably linked right, with impact and profit. And the farther that I drive that valuation, the farther that I drive that impact. And in this specific scenario, those two things track. And generally, we try to do that across every company we can, right? Because at a certain stage, every founder, even founders that are impact founders, are asked to compromise their purpose or their impact for their profit. It's inevitable. Sometimes it's really significant and sometimes it's not. But the goal for this particular company and the thing that I am really trying to do is make them so that one drives the other and it makes sense to do that as big as we possibly can. And I don't think that you need to build a unicorn or you do not need to build a billion dollar company in order to have that sort of model or to drive you know, that sort of thing where profit and purpose just keep pushing each other as far as they can go. But in this particular case, yes. And I would say, if you asked me that a couple of years ago, I would say no. But now that this is a thing and I see it, like I absolutely want to do that. 
Okay, more hope. You just flooded us with hope today, which is a good thing, Joe. We're, we're all about it. So Diverse Tech Founders, I'm not sure if you're aware, but it kind of came about from a party in our apartment that we were calling app launch parties for founders to celebrate them for different accomplishments. The first one was celebrating a Series A. It could have been a different app launch or folks who were just excited and wanted to share their message. And people came because it's very rare to find an environment that wasn't exclusively Black or diverse, but predominantly so around tech with that kind of energy, with art in the room that reflected the people in the audience. So let's say that you were to come to one of these events, whether it was back in Harlem where it started or the traveling ones in Memphis or these other cities in the South. At the very end of the app launch party, the founder comes and gives a short speech and then there's a Q&A session where you can ask anything. And it's not about a pitch. You're not trying to get them on their heels. It's really just for them to tell their story, for us to be vulnerable with each other. What question would you ask of a founder at one of our app launch parties? Let's say at the end Q&A session, last question, Joe, what are you asking? Before I even answer that, I just, I just want to say that I love what, you know, sort of the origin of what you're doing is so special because we don't celebrate our own early successes, right? As founders, like we just keep moving to the next thing and to celebrate and be celebrated, I think is so cool and so special. And I love that so much. And I think that's like, probably when I was reading that about what you're doing, I was like, yes, like that is so important. And we need so much more of that. Like, what did you think that you couldn't do that you did? And maybe that's covered somewhere, in, you know, earlier in that, I'm not sure. But I think as, as someone that perpetually downplays my own, accomplishments and someone that continually feels like, okay, like next, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. Like I'll, I'll celebrate later. I haven't done anything yet. I think that's what I'd want to know because I think a lot of times, uh, like I said, right, like that, that really gets lost. That's a good question. Those are always my favorite when we get a chance to know the person a little bit more. And I think that's what helps to build the community. You're not just firing off, you know, strategic questions, but more questions that help us to, to get closer as a people. Um, so does it feel like we've come to sort of the last official question? There's a bonus one that we always ask, but this last one is a chance. You might've felt like you've said this before, but this is your chance to kind of say it again, like hit us home, bring us home. What is the most valuable thing that Mother Superior does for its founders and its investors? But what is the most valuable thing that you're doing for the folks who join your team? I think we show up humble. When a new founder shows up, I know we know things and they know things, right? And I think that there is a lot of times this um, this perception, right, that the people that are doing the funding or the accelerator, the incubator knows everything. And I mean, I learn 20 new things every day. But I think the best thing we do is we don't take it for granted. We don't take someone's experience for granted. We don't take their background for granted. We know that every single person is there because they're amazing, right? The way that they move through the world is amazing. Their perspective is amazing. To never assume that we know better or that the status quo applies, I think um, I think is pretty rare. Very cool. I don't know what the saying is in the Air Force, but clearly you're one to be in the trenches with folks right next to them. So that's a good feeling to have, I'm sure. So this last bonus question is, is like, look, Joe, like we've enjoyed having this conversation, you know, listening to you. I mean, clearly you're adding value to the ecosystem out there in the Bay Area. You know, you got roots in Denver. I'm sure you your network stretches across the country. But if I'm listening to this right now, I said, hey, I want to get in touch with Joe. I know that I need a warm intro. Maybe I have it, maybe I don't. But if I want to get in touch with you, what is the easiest and best way to do it? Which app are you launching the most frequently? Where are your eyes going to go for us to have a chance to connect with you again? Yeah, so um, 
just email me. You know, I'm going to say it's, it's the best way. It's also like, I'm kind of a delayed response email person. Like I'm not like an inbox zero. So if it's like not immediate, like not, I'm not ignoring you. Uh, sometimes it just, just take, it just takes me a second. Um, but it's just Joe at mother dot co that was taken. Uh, so <laughs> Joe at mother Very cool. Well, you, you have it. Uh, make sure you get your, your copy tight right to the point in that email and send it over and let Joe know you listened to her on the diverse tech founders podcast. And we'll see where it goes from there. Well, I was just going to say, like, make sure your copy's tight, but don't stress about it. So we have enjoyed yeah. having you, Joe. We really have. Uh, Mother Superior sounds like it's going to have like a lot lined up for 2022. So we will be watching. Uh, but thank you for coming on and we'll let you have the last word. I would say, you know, whatever it is you're working on, find your people, find your community, find people that believe in you and ask for help. If you need anything legal, you know, come, come and ask me. Um, I'll help you if I can. But if you're out there working on something, right, it's because it's special and it's because it's something that, you know, someone hasn't seen before. And something that you uniquely can contribute to the world. And I just think that is the best. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for you, even if I don't know you. Thank you very much. Until next time. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.